Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today I want to talk to you about why Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. Most Christians, if you were to ask them, they understand that the roots of Christianity are in Judaism. And uh, that is true. But really, the root of Christianity is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And so uh, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And if you've never read the book of Genesis, uh, it's just like a must read. One-third of human history is in this book. And all of the beginnings are in the book, right? So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. The, The reason that a human being has value is not because of some talent that you have. Um, Peter Singer, who at least was teaching bioethics at one of our Ivy League universities, said the reason that it's not improper to take the life of a three-month-old child is because the child is not self-aware. And if you're not self-aware, you're not totally human. You all remember Rene Descartes? philosopher. He said, I think, therefore I am. And that has really been accepted in our society. And so you have value because you're self-aware, but you really have value because you're made in the image and in the likeness of God, right? Uh, Our culture has taken Rene Descartes and said, you can take the life of a three-month-old child and it's no different than killing a dog because they're not self-aware. But the reason you have value is because you're created in the likeness, in the image of God. And God, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, is the father of that spirit that's in that child. God is the father. So it's not a matter of your talent, and it's not a matter of your being self-aware. You have value because you're created in the image and likeness of God. That's why abortion is wrong. Right? Because you're created in God's image and likeness. And God said, let them have dominion. What were you created to do? Have dominion. That's what you were created for. And God said, let them have dominion over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that's on the earth. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Other translations say, subject it, master it, bring it under your control, conquer it, take control of it. Right? The earth was made for man, not man for the earth. Right? Uh, we, we have a, 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 a group in our society today that believes really that, the, that man is here for the earth and not earth here for man. Right? Now, we need to take care of our planet. All right. But God said you need to subject it. You need to take control of it. You need to master it, all right? 
And he said, over every living thing, you're to have dominion. In Psalms 115, verse 16, the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The heavens of the heavens are the Lord's. But who does the earth belong to? The children of men. God gave man dominion over this earth. Then God put Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you shall freely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, along comes a talking snake. And in Genesis chapter three, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Satan's tactics have not changed. His tactic is still to say what God said is not true. What God said is irrelevant. What God says does not apply to you. But here's what I think is interesting. You get a talking snake to come and deceive Adam and Eve to believe that what they have is not good enough. That God's holding out on them. Now get this. They, are, they have no past. They have no worries. They have no bills. They have a perfect spouse. They have no in-laws to mess things up. No pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no regrets, no crying, no addiction, no depression, no dying, no comparison. There's none of it. And that snake gets them to believe that God is holding out on them and there's something better. Now, believe me, the devil is going to come to you and he's going to tell you that God's holding out, right? That there's something better, right? But the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Well, they listen to the snake. They eat of the fruit. God said, you'll surely die. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And by the way, in the Bible, the death really means separation. And what happened is they, they died in their relationship to God. In the New Testament, it says it this way, that whomsoever you obey, his servants you are. Whoever you obey, his servants you are. And they obeyed Satan. And literally, they became Satan's servants. They became subject to him. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but a total separation from God. The Bible refers to it as the second death. Right? It's separation from God. It's eternal punishment. So Adam and Eve sinned. Now, Adam and Eve are the first human beings. They are a prototype of what God wants every person to be. So when they sinned, they fell in their relationship to God and became servants of Satan. Unfortunately, they reproduced not in the condition that they were created, but in the condition to which they fell. So Romans 5 verse 12 says, therefore, just as through one man, 
sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sin. So in God's eyes, when our parents sinned, they represented us. And what they did affected us, put us outside a relationship with God and in subjection to the devil. Now you say, I don't like that. But that's kind of, here's a, here's a good example of it. How many of you, you voted for somebody who went to Washington or went to Lansing and they did some things that you are not glad that they voted for? Huh? What they, you, you see, they represented you. Maybe a better example is that Jeannie and I were, were missionaries for, for several years. Um, after we were missionaries for about a year and a half, our first child was born. He was born in Mexico. So dual citizenship. But every time we would go back, we would get hassled at the border. Well, you're living in Mexico and legally you couldn't live in Mexico. You couldn't be a missionary. And so when our, we become pregnant with our second child, we thought, well, let's go to the States and have him born in a nice, clean American hospital. So we go and visit Janie's parents, and Janie's going to give birth while we're, while we're there. And uh, By the way, she, she uh, gets up, just had, went to sleep for like six, seven hours, got up, her water broke, and she said, let's go. So I get her in the car, and we're driving to the hospital. And, and uh, anyway, we didn't make it. You know, she, he was born in the car. Uh, in fact, uh, we got to the hospital, they took the baby inside and, and we hadn't decided on the name yet. And uh, Jeannie almost named him Samuel Ford Vanderclock because he was for, born in a Ford van. Right? In, in fact, three of our four kids were born in the van. Right? <clears throat> but we made a decision to leave Mexico and come to the United States for him to be born. It affected his citizenship. He's an American citizen, but he doesn't have dual citizenship like his brother. So Adam and Eve made decisions that affected you and affected me. The Bible tells us because of what Adam did, death spread to all men. And then it says, because all sin. In him, we all sin. He was the first representative man. So God immediately makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. He said, I will put enmity or conflict between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise, other translations say crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. Now, now the bruising of the head or the crushing of the head is really a very old Mideastern or even Oriental term. Uh, when a king would go and conquer a land, he would take his opponent knock him to the ground and put his head, excuse me, his foot on his head. You can find it in the book of Joshua. When Joshua conquers kings, he literally, he knocked him to the ground and told all of his, he put his foot on his head and had all of his generals come and put their foot on the head. It represented that I have taken your authority. What was yours is now mine. Right? So God promised that the seed of the woman would come and take the authority from the enemy, the devil. Um, Luke chapter 4, verse 5 says, And the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain, 
shows them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to them, all this authority I will give you and their glory because it's been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I will. So Satan said the, the, the dominion and the glory of all the nations of the earth was given to him. If he's lying, there's no temptation. So it's true. Who gave it to him? Adam gave it to him. Why? Because God had given Adam and Eve dominion, right? Now, when they misused that dominion, God didn't go, oh, you guys messed up. I'm taking it back. Now, Psalms 89 says this, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that's going out of my lips. God had given that authority to Adam and Eve. And when they misused it, God did not take it back. So Satan came and he took that authority, that dominion. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Satan is called the God of this world. In John 14, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, we know for a fact we're of God and the whole world around us lies in the power or the control of the evil one opposing God and his precepts. People may ask you, well, if, if, if God's in control, why is all this mess? Because God's just not in control. He gave man dominion and Satan is using that dominion. The reason for death, sickness, disease, war, famine, pestilence, abortion, every wicked thing you can think of, the reason is because the devil is, is the one that has that dominion, that authority. Remember, and the whole world around us lies in the power, the control of the evil one. God's will is not sickness and disease and war and pestilence. That's not the will of God. Before the devil showed up, there was none of it. And after he's gone, there's none of it. Makes it pretty clear, I think. So really, God is on the outside looking in because he's given dominion to man. And Satan has usurped that authority, that dominion. And so God finds a man by the name of Abram. And he comes to him in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I will make you a great nation. Now, by the way, that nation is the nation of Israel. But this promise has not been fulfilled yet. You can see the nation today. It's there. But when he said great nation, it means supreme above all others. How many of you know Israel isn't there yet? But when Jesus comes back, he will rule and reign from Jerusalem over Israel. Jesus said to his disciples, you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus comes back, the law will go forth from Jerusalem under Jesus. He said, I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. You know, I, I often mention this, but it was right around the year 2000. I'm in Barnes and Nobles. And there were three major magazines. And all of them the same week had Abraham's picture on the cover of their magazine. Now, when you have been dead for 4,000 years, right, and everybody's putting your picture on the cover of their magazine, it's because your name's great. Right? He said, I'll bless you, and I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. That's God's foreign policy. 
And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The New Testament says this last statement. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It says that God preached the gospel to Abram, that in him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So God makes a covenant relationship with Abram. He promises this is what's going to happen. Well, a few years passed. Now, Abraham is, uh, when God first talked to him, he's 75. Now he's around 85, and he has no children yet. So as God is speaking to him, God says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit. And Abram says, hey, look, Eliezer of Damascus, my servant, is going to inherit everything because I don't have any children. And God says to him, no, you're going to have children. He says, well, how am I going to know for sure? How am I going to know that I will inherit it? And God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, when you and I hear that, we think Texas barbecue. (laughs) That's what we think, all right? But when when he heard that, it's it's not at all what he thought. He thought, we're going to make a covenant. And God said, take those animals, cut them in half, and put them on altars, right? So then what's going to happen is this. They're going to have these animals cut in half, sitting on altars. And Abram, the normal process would be that Abraham, and whoever he's making a covenant with, will walk and make figure eights around these sacrifices. Now, the ground's going to be covered in blood, and their feet are going to be covered in blood, and they're making promises to each other. That's the normal way that it goes. But it came to pass. As the sun went down and it was dark, by the way, Abraham has fallen asleep. Now, this is like you you, you have just won the sweepstakes and they're bringing over a check to your house for $5 billion. All you have to do is answer the door. How many would not fall asleep? But Abraham falls asleep. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham saying to your descendants, I will give this land. So when it's time for the covenant to be made, a furnace and a flaming torch walk in the pieces. They're talking to each other. They're making promises to each other. In Galatians 3, it says this, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it was only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as to many, but as to one. And to your seed, who is Christ. So to Abraham is sleeping. And the furnace and the torch walk through. The Bible tells us who they are. One is Jesus. He's Christ. The other is God the Father. And they're walking and they're making promises to each other. Now, notice that it says that if the covenant is confirmed, it cannot be annulled. Most Christians do not realize this, but the entire New Testament from Matthew on is all about what they just said right here. This is the new covenant. Right? What happens 430 years later after this 
happens on Mount Sinai. But what happened on Mount Sinai where they got the Ten Commandments did not annul the first one. Because Abraham has a relationship with God, not based on law, but based on promise, based on this covenant. And this is the covenant that you and I walk in today, the one that was made right here in Genesis chapter 15. But it's got to be confirmed. No one can annul it or add to it, right? Now to Abraham and to his seed where the promise is made, not to seeds as to many, but as to your seed who is Christ. In this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant which confirmed before by God in Christ, that he should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now notice it says that it has to be confirmed. Right? Now let me just say a couple of things here. Now they're making promises to each other. All right. One of those promises is found in more explanation in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, but wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with promise, power from on high. He said, because I told, wait, he said literally, wait for the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now notice he called it the promise of who? The Father. The promise of the Father, right? That's one of the promises. But there are literally, I can show you, 130 different promises in the New Testament that all of them are made right here. 130 promises in the New Testament. Everyone takes this place, takes go back right here. But this covenant has to be confirmed. So God said to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 22. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, because he's had a son by now, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Right? This is where the temple mount is. It's on Mount Moriah. He said, go there and offer him as a burnt offering. So you know what happens. Abraham takes his son. He takes him up. He puts him on an altar and he lifts that, that Arabian twisted knife and he's about to kill his son. Now here's the Bible. It, it, most of your Bibles will say God tested Abraham. Better said, God confirmed the covenant. Abraham had to be willing to give his son so that God would give his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Abraham had to be willing to give his son so that the covenant would be confirmed. When you're in a covenant with somebody, right? Everything that you have belongs to them. Everything that they have belongs to you. For, for Abraham to need God to give his son, Abraham had to be willing to give his son. So as he's about to take his son's life, God stops him. God stops him. This is uh, Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord spoke from heaven the second time to Abraham and said, I swear God's sure word. Because you have done this and have not refused to give me your son, your dear son, I will bless you. And I've got the message Bible here. This is what it says. Oh, I will bless you. Kind of like God gets Pentecostal. Oh, I'm going to bless you. Right? He's just saying, I'm going to bless you. And again, 130 different ways mentioned in your New Testament about how God is going to bless you. 
Hebrews chapter six, for when God had made the promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. How many have ever heard somebody swear? God, da, 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 da. Well, there was nobody greater for God to swear by. So God swore by himself. Right? Why? He's, he did it so that you would know. He says, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, Abram, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all dispute. Once somebody takes an oath, that's the end of it. It's surely going to happen. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's you, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, and that is impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor for the soul. You can be sure that you can be sure that you can be sure that God is going to do what he said that he would do. Right? The Bible says in Psalms 138 that he magnified his word above all his name. If God breaks his word, the universe will explode. It will just, it will just blow up. It's all held together by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter one. So we can know for sure. So over a period of literally nearly 2000 years, 1800 years, God makes promises about what's going to happen. So the Bible says this in John chapter one and verse 14. It said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to listen. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be dry ground, and there was dry ground. He said things. Well, God gave words in the Old Testament. He said, a virgin will conceive and bear a child. That child will be born in Bethlehem. That child will be called out of Egypt. That child will be called a Nazarene. Isaiah prophesied it this way, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. A child is born, human nature. A son given, he was given from heaven. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Over 300 different prophecies about the seed of the woman. And those prophecies became flesh. Literally, those prophecies impregnated Mary, and they became flesh. Just like God said, let there be light, those 300 prophetic words about Jesus became flesh, and the seed of the woman came. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam. The first Adam represented you and everything he did. He was married to a girl named Eve. The last Adam, the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. The Bible says the second man or the last Adam is the Lord from heaven. 
The last representative man was Jesus. And just like the first Adam sinned and affected every one of us, right? what he did, I like to say it this way. In the first Adam, we became slaves of sin and of the devil, and he took us down. But in the last Adam, we are made kings. He lifts us up with himself, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely those who receive God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The first man took us down, but the last man lifted us up. The Bible says you're raised with him. You're seated in heavenly places in him. You are to reign as kings in life through him. Romans, Romans, 2 Corinthians 5 says that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. So God was working in Christ, but he was not working on Christ. How many of you know Jesus didn't need any help? He didn't need any improvement. But God used him as the last representative man. And he was working in Christ. But what he was doing was lifting you up. You say, what did he do for me? Well, he redeemed you from the curse of the law. He made you a new creature in Christ. He forgave you. Romans 4, the last verse, says that he was delivered up because of our offenses, but he was raised when we were justified. When God made you just as if I'd never sinned, God raised Jesus up. It was proof that God was working in Christ, putting your hand in God's hand and restoring you to fellowship. You owed a debt that you could not pay, but because God was in covenant with Abraham, he had to pay the debt that Abraham and Adam and you and I had, and Jesus took you to the cross. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. In God's economy, you went to the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if one died for all, then all died. Did Jesus die for all? Then he took you to the cross and you died at that cross in God's economy. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. And he took you and seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are in him. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Other trans, I love this. He said, liquidate the devil's activity. How many have ever been to a liquidation sale? <laughs> Jesus came to liquidate the devil. Another translation says, to neutralize, to annul the acts of the adversary. Second, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 2, 14, that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy, paralyze, neutralize, him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus gives you and I authority. 
So we can paralyze, we can neutralize what the devil means to do in our lives. In 2 Corinthians, uh, let's just go over here. Let me just take you to Colossians 2. It says, having wiped out the handwriting and requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taking it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. If you had been there at Calvary when Jesus went there, above his head was a parchment in three languages, which said the king of the Jews. But if you could have seen in the spirit realm, God nailed a petition to that cross. It had 613 statements. We talk about the Ten Commandments. Did you know there's actually 613 of them? But God nailed that to Jesus' cross and said, Jesus is paying the price for every one of these sins. Everything that you did that was contrary to him, God put it on the cross. Jesus died and he paid the price. The Bible says, well, what, are the, what do we call it? The, the Apostles' Creed said he descended into hell. Acts chapter 2 says that God loosed him from the pains of death, the torments of death. See, he went for you, but he conquered death, and he arose from the dead. And he came in Revelation chapter 1, and he said, I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I want you to think about this. The devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. Jesus said, I've got the keys. I have the authority, and that's the authority that he's given us. You see, he had to come and be the seed of the woman, and he had to die to pay for your sins. But he had to be raised for your justification, to make you just as if you'd never sinned. God was working in Christ, and he restored you and I to himself. Jesus put our hand in God's hand and said, all the mistakes, all the sins, all the stuff that we've done cannot keep us from God because Jesus paid for it all. And the fact that he was raised from the dead is proof because he was raised when you were justified. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In Hebrews 10 and verse 13, it says it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single sacrifice, he, Jesus, did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Jesus went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice and he paid for everything, for everything. And you may be here today and you're away from God. Some of you, you one time you were living for God, but you've drifted away and you need to get back. You need to get right with God. In a moment, we're gonna pray. There's many that you just don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says this in 1 John, we've written these things that you may know, not hope, not someday have, but you may know that you have everlasting life. See, if you don't know you're forgiven, know you're right with God, you're not where you should be. We're going to pray a prayer. If you're that person who says, I don't know, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, 
When we say amen, you're gonna be right with God. The Bible says this, Romans 10, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord, that's what we're gonna do the way the Bible shows us to, will be saved, will be saved. So I'm gonna ask everybody if you can, if you feel comfortable, take, take the hand of somebody that's next to you. If you came with them, you feel comfortable, take their hand. And we're gonna pray this prayer together. I want you to make these words your own and to pray this out loud, to say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. He is my King and he's my Lord. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a, I am now a part of your kingdom, your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.